when it comes to hard times, trouble, and loss. Appalachian music might as well have the patent. The mountains are often more beautiful than bountiful. There is no second line down in the mines. Poverty and sorrow are ever-present, but hardened resolve and hope are there too. As the Olabel Reed song says, I've endured, I've endured. How long can one endure? Although they are not all native to the Appalachians, the traditions and worldview of the hill country and highlands are foremost in everything this four-piece band does, even when they are influenced and informed by music and culture from places as far away as Japan. They are lifelong musicians who have day jobs, and most of them have families, and all the while, they manage to be in top form. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories, and our episode on Teleco. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the Osiris family. Osiris connects people like you with podcasts, videos, and live music experiences. Visit OsirisPod.com and sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss new interviews, events, and podcasts. Two new podcasts debuted on Osiris recently, Alternate Roots, although we'll say routes. It's an exploration of independent music not found on major streaming services, hosted by Jesse Jarno. Expect artists from labels like Thrill Jockey, Cuneiform, and Tompkins Square with descriptions and commentary on the five songs each episode from Jesse. This is music that takes me back to my days at WXYC and my beginnings at WNCW as an ARC Overnight host. Very indie, very well done. Also new on Osiris is Amigos, which features roughly hour-long music and comedy discussions in episodes with stand-up comedian Mike Finoya and Sean Murray who bring in folks like Sam Cutler, who was instrumental in the Grateful Dead's Ascendants. They talk with comedians like Sifa Sounds and guests like Headcount.org co-founder Andy Bernstein. 
28 podcasts now on the Osiris Podcast Network. Check them out. Southern Songs and Stories is sponsored by you when you join us as a patron and help keep this series going. More information is on our website at southernsongsandstories.com and our crowdfunding page, patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. You can subscribe to the Southern Songs and Stories podcast on our website, as well as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, CastBox, and now Plex. Would you take a moment to rate the show and comment on this podcast there? It's one of the easiest and best ways to get more people like you to know about Southern Songs and Stories and the artists we spotlight. We'll give you a shout-out on the next show whenever you give us a positive review. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and we welcome your comments by email at southernsongsandstories at gmail.com, on Twitter at South Scenes, on our Facebook page, as well as on Instagram at South Stories. Thought we'd just mix it up here and do a tune I wrote. It's called the Backstep Blues, and it it has kind of a a backstep in it, and it's kind of like those little backsteps that we take in life that all works out for the best, usually. Earlier this month, I rode up the mountain to Brevard, North Carolina for the Mountain Song Festival. It's a three-day affair held in a beautiful auditorium which is open on two sides, allowing people to see performances from both inside and out on the lawn. The Steep Canyon Rangers, who call Brevard home, are the driving force behind the festival, which just turned 13. After Teleco's set, while Frank Sullivan and Dirty Kitchen played in the auditorium, and Ben Salee warmed up his cello nearby while looking out over the pond, I spoke with Anya Hinkle, Stig Stiglitz, Aaron Balance, and Jed Willis about their second album called Woven Waters. Working with Irish folk artist John Doyle, who produced it, how the blues is at the center of so much of Southern music, other artists who have mentored and influenced them, and how important the jam scene is to their music. Hey, babe, so you look right now. You're gonna see, can't get a man to do what you please. Oh, you know how it's gotta be. Now you see, oh, how it's killing me. Saying, hey, where did your daddy go around? Through the years, you know, we're experimenting with, um, just where our sound goes, but we've been playing together now for so long that we've gelled into a certain sound that I think 
um, is recognizable but maybe not easily placeable. Um, and I think where we not necessarily struggle, but where we recognize we want to continue to grow is that we we don't want to just continue to fall into the same decisions that we would typically make from a song that we bring to the to the group. And um, I think that's where we really all felt that we wanted to have somebody to help us um, with producing this new album. And I think that was, um, we couldn't have picked anybody better than John Doyle to really get us out of our uh, our choices, like our, our go-to choices, and it really helped to sort of mix things up, I think in a good way for our sound. And I think it gave us some ideas of where we could go in the future, um, different things that we could try and that we can throw different ideas and different intentions at where we want to go and that it's possible. So that was a great takeaway from working with John. Yeah, John is noted, you know, in the Celtic world. So um, I figured that this record is going to have some of that flavor. Am I right? Uh, you're definitely right. Um, he, he, he plays on uh, four, five, five songs. Uh, he, he, we and and to tell the truth, we weren't expecting it. Like we were, we were in the studio, and he he had his his bazooki there, and you know, um, being a producer, we thought that he was you know just bring that in to kind of you know guide us, and he used it as a tool to help us uh, establish the uh, the arrangement of some of these tunes, and he would he would show you know he'd have to show us uh, on his bazooki and. Um, he played one through with us, and we and to, I think we, we really thought that, that he was just he's going to play this through with us. He's just going to kind of put us where we need to be rhythmically, and then he's going to take it out. And we were all like doing our overdubs, and we we all got through. And he said, "Okay, let me do my overdub." And he went back in, and we're like, "Oh, I guess he's on the record." And it, and he just kept doing it. So uh, and we we hardly wanted to stop him. So he he added a lot. Ma- making uh, making the recording kind of a unique performance of some of these songs. That was Greg Stiglitz, who everyone calls Stig, following Anya Hinkle. I also spoke with Ty Gilpin of Organic Records, Teleco's new label, and their former producer John Stickley, who was profiled in the John Stickley Trio episode on Southern Songs and Stories in 2017. Here's John with his take on Teleco's sound. When you hear Teleco music, John, uh, what influences are in there that you can point out? I, I was thinking recently, I heard a John Prine song, and it reminded me somewhat of Stig's writing. Like the lighter side of John Prine and the humorous side of, of Stig's writing seem to have a parallel there. Do you have any observations in that direction? Yeah, I would say um, he, he captures the lighthearted side of the John Prine stuff, but can also... Man, some of Stig's songs are so sad and and beautiful. Um, kind of in the, you know, in the vein of uh, these tragic country ballads uh, and mountain ballads and things. Just really gut wrenching stuff. And and I think Anya does the same thing where they can really tug at your heart with the stories they tell. But then there's a light hearted like Anya's almost has. She's got her songs. Sometimes have a bit of a like a psychedelic element. They really paint a beautiful picture, and uh, you know, I just think it's a really broad range of styles of songwriting. Teleco 
openly confesses. Should I say confesses? <laughs> and they openly admit that they come from the bluegrass roots. So you're going to see a lot of that there. But you're going to hear a lot of personal storytelling, which I think is what's valuable about any music at all, especially roots music and folk music and singer-songwriter music is the storytelling element. I think they're influenced by their personal experiences. Uh, when it comes when it comes to that, their, their their personal musical path as well as their personal experiences in the world, and they're writing about what moves them. Uh, so there's those elements. Um, and I, I think that they could have gone a lot of different directions with this next album, Woven Waters, but that it was influenced by the, some of the input and direction that John Doyle had. So you're going to hear some of his influence in this particular set of um, recordings as well. So I think that, and, and that's ultimately why this is, album was called Woven Waters because that was the idea behind that was that they were weaving their different fluid styles, both uh, personal uh, genre based influenced by John, where they might want to go next. And uh, I think you hear all of that in this particular recording. And then that's, that's sort of the basis behind the, the idea of the title as well. So um, I think it's great. I think it's, great that they're open to um, not be stuck or pigeonholed in one particular niche of Roots music. They're exploring all of them. I think that's great. One of Teleco's new songs, which came from personal experience, is New Moon, which Stig wrote after getting spooked while on a late-night excursion at Donner Pass in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Still that shadow followed I broke into a run I 
scrambled through the thick dark pines And I became uncertain of the path that was beneath me And that shadow followed still from behind What a grave mistake I've made To be out here in the dark I have no blade, my life to save Lighter makes a spark with just a spark. You know, it's funny, like, there's a lot that you learn from, from people that you've worked with, and then there's a lot that you just kind of develop on your own. And for me, some of the things that I've developed on my own have always been kind of in concert with the guys in this band and um, so I've actually learned a tremendous amount just um, you know having them push me to um, to write better and more complex or interesting or different um, compositions and figuring out how we're going to arrange them how we're going to make them interesting and um, I feel like that's a, a really um, I feel really lucky to have a group of people to work with to, to work on those on those things um, but um, at least for me personally too coming from a, a tr more traditional background bluegrass and old time um, you know working with some of those those mentors like Arvel um, like some of the folks in southwestern Virginia um, Mac Trainum and um, some other folks that I met um, you know just kind of helped me solidify a feeling for traditional music for this style of music that is kind of a springboard for me because I don't hold tr to tradition much. I enjoy playing um, traditional music, but um, I think my, my most enjoyable thing is to create new, new sounds, and um, I'm just really happy to have a group of people that we can kind of work on that together. If you know Anya, you probably know that she has a direct connection with Japanese musical traditions through her husband, Gen. In Japan, bluegrass and roots music from America has been popular for decades, and Anya has played there many times. While Japanese influences don't seem to be readily apparent in Teleco's music, they're still there. I asked Anya about this, and she wrote, in quote, I wouldn't say that I incorporate any traditional Japanese tones in my music, although when I play on my own, I do some singing in Japanese. I've toured numerous times in Japan with Japanese artists and have learned a lot from those experiences. One thing that comes to mind is the way that musicians arrange and perform music. They take much more time with each element of their performance, with lots of space during and even between songs, to create a sense of beauty and magic. People don't rush to fill space there as much. To Americans, this can feel kind of awkward at times, but it's also a welcome change from our typical frenetic pacing of delivering a performance in the West, in my opinion. I think that if the performer is comfortable with that kind of space, the audience quickly becomes comfortable also. There also is a real sense of cooperation among musicians, with no one jockeying to stand out ahead of another musician in any way. People are restrained in their expression and are really focused on tastefulness more than impressing someone. These are generalizations, of course, but for me it's helped me focus on identifying the essence of what I want to communicate and shedding things that are unnecessary or distracting. For example, relaxing to create the best singing tone, or simplifying my plan to get the best groove, tone, and feel that I can from my instruments. 
It's been kind of an exciting revelation, an invitation to just relax and let what is already inside me come out simply and beautifully, while always listening and thinking about how to make improvements, welcoming new ideas, and always continuing to learn and being open to change." End quote. That's a bit of the song Basho from banjo and koto player Akira Sataki from his 1997 album Cooler Heads Prevail. Akira and Anya have played shows together, most recently with multi-instrumentalist Duncan Wickle in a trio that plays their originals in both Japanese and English. Akira lives in Swannanoa, North Carolina, and in addition to being an award-winning musician, is also a celebrated ceramics artist, winning the National Award for Excellence in Contemporary Clay from the Philadelphia Museum. As she mentioned earlier, Anya studied with one of the biggest names in old-time music, fiddle player Arvel Freeman. Several years ago, when I was working on a video documentary on Teleco, we dropped in on Anya's fiddle lesson with Arvel at his home in Weaverville, North Carolina. Since then, Arvel has won the North Carolina Heritage Award. Did you want to try it? Let me see what it does. Yeah, that's a lot better. Talk a little bit about how much you've saved my life, kept me from <laughs> from being a terrible fiddle player into being a well, mediocre fiddle player. <laughs> I think more or less you're understanding now yeah. what it's all about rather than shooting in the dark. You have to understand music, what your capabilities are, and how you intend to fulfill them. string not When you're teaching, everybody wants to call. <laughs> Close. <laughs> See, on the last, you were playing it perfect. On the first, you was all over the place. Right, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. 
say it. We're getting there. <laughs> Did you learn that song first? I mean, have you just I don't remember, playing? really. It's been around a long, long time. time. Yeah. I used to play it a bunch back when I was, you know, with Mark Brookman, people like that. These people now don't know. It's all Greek to them. If it's got more than three chords, they're lost. The video we were working on, which included this scene with Arvel and Anya, was never completed. More on that later. But I always hoped to follow through on that project, and that's part of my motivation here. To me, this episode feels a bit like Teleco's new song, West of the Cumberlands, with its theme of new beginnings. Castro's dead, but they'll find someone new to blame. Always wanting you to change your ways and change your game. But your spirit wrestles free like a locust from its shell, rapping and searching and screaming like hell. Clean the light on, baby, when I go, I'm coming home. Teleco is a group that is moving forward with a thorough understanding of where they have been. This was one of the liveliest parts of our conversation at the festival. Here's Dobro player Aaron Balance, mandolin and banjo player Jed Willis, and bassist Stig Stiglitz on their musical influences and beginnings. How about you, Aaron? Anybody that's important to you? Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, just most immediately, I, you know, my father was a musician, so I grew up with it in the house, and that kind of was the first thing that sponsored me getting into music. But beyond that, you know, I'd go and visit my grandparents in Surrey County, and um, my great-uncle was Dick Freeman, um, real well-known Round Peak banjo player. My cousins are the McMillans up there in Surrey County. So when I was a kid, you know, we'd be running around playing in the woods, and then we'd run in the, the old Freeman home, and my uncle had all these old instruments on the walls. And, you know, I kind of came in touch first with traditional mm-hmm. Appalachian music there. But um, I had a teacher in Winston-Salem, too, Jeff Foxell, great musician. Um, Craig Smith, a great banjo player, lived a couple blocks from me. I still lives a couple blocks from my mom. So I was listening to those records, and they were playing with you know, Jerry Douglas and Stuart Duncan and, you know, kind of playing with some of those Nashville players when I was a teenager. And so I was listening to that first encountering the sounds of like vintage instruments, you know, um, and the tone of those instruments and really just kind of got lured to the music too by thinking about instruments and and wood and wire and all that. And eventually, I guess that's probably something that led me to wanting to build my own instruments, you know, so... But I have memories of being a child and seeing those instruments hanging up on the walls, you know, of the, the Freeman house. So 
yeah it's it's all there and we live in a, a rich place you know where that can take a lot of form oh, yeah. so indeed how about you jed um well i spent a lot of time with charles petty in chapel hill when i was 15 through 18 and learned a lot from him i mean as a teacher as much as like a traditionalist you know as a music as a music theory teacher and you know everything else and teaching me to teach myself and like break apart songs and stuff that doesn't i mean you know he was teaching me bluegrass but you know in a way i feel like bluegrass is deceptively like a non-traditional form or something like that and i i never really spent too much time learning like you know like traditional tunes from anyone a little bit with fox watson and black mountain he taught me a bunch of stuff on banjo uh, a little bit with herb lambert on mandolin out in morganton he's a really great old mandolin playing guy that i went out and hung out with him for about a year pretty frequently but i mean i'm as, you know at times i guess i've thought of myself as a traditionalist or a preservationist but realized that ultimately i'm not really and I do love that stuff, and I love to embody it and, and learn it as best I can. But I ultimately, I feel like I'm, you know, it's a, it's a, my brain is a melting pot for all that stuff to then regurgitate something that is uniquely mine or whatever. You know, I think that's always kind of been my approach. Just I always thought like I don't want to sound like any one person, or I don't want to have you know I want it to be like a, a mixture of all of my influences or something like that. But and to like touch on the question of like the band you know sort of the same question relating to like the band sound i, I mean I, I think it's hard to be a traditional band in, you know in this era like it's you'd have to try really hard to like keep things out of your playing you know because most people these days did not grow up just listening to the radio at their house you know they had influences at mtv they had pop radio and maybe traditional music was part of it in person or were, they were lucky enough to tap into it through their family and going to bluegrass festivals or whatever it is but I feel like it's really you know to be true to yourself as a musician I find it's probably hard to like be a, a re I mean a, those people are few and far between I think who are like really meant to be like preservationist musicians and like really do that well and are probably like some weird old souls who just know how to do that stuff anyway <laughs> Conjure it, channel it. Maybe like a Josh Goforth or somebody comes to mind. Yeah, he actually showed me a bunch of stuff on banjo too for a minute. Like when Town Mountain was, I was starting to learn Clawhammer when I was still in Town Mountain, and he was playing fiddle, and he showed me a few things on banjo. He's someone I would also reference as somebody actually put, like showed me things on Clawhammer that I didn't just like pick up myself and try to mess around with it, you know. But. Stig? Yeah, Stig, no. Stig, you're from Alabama, right? Uh, Mississippi. Mississippi, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit different. Yeah, I didn't... Um, tell the truth, like, like, I didn't ever ever study under anybody, so to speak. I just kind of listened to, to music and uh, tried to emulate, I guess. Um, and I tried to keep that a an ever-moving thing uh there's um, and you know that goes from that's not just bluegrass or folk that's that's like every 
every form of music that I've ever played since I was like, you know, 11 or 12, you know, I was, you know, there were people I was trying to emulate when I, when I was trying to play metal and, you know, when I was uh, trying to do, you know, Nirvana grunge in my 20s, uh, you know, there were bands that I emulated, but um, I, I learned to play the bass uh, because a band, uh, a band that, to, that I was in called Delia Lowe with Aaron and Hinkle there, uh, like they needed a bass player and they had a bass and they just wanted somebody to play the bass and I didn't play bass but I learned to play bass for them and then I just kind of learned to play bass period after that. Just um, my biggest teacher is the radio. Napster was a pretty big influence. When, when you could get anything that you wanted like for free for, for that time, like that was very helpful because I, I came to how I got into bluegrass was I, I was kind of into it. I was kind of into the dead, the, the Grateful Dead side of bluegrass, but I hadn't gotten hardcore about it um, before I moved to Asheville in like 2000. And then I started going to the Jack of the Wood Jam. And I learned a lot there. I would go up there and try to play with them, kind of lay back, you know, at first. Um, didn't want to really get out there but you know I'd say well what was the name of that tune oh that was a blackberry blossom and then I'd go home and I'd napster it and uh I'd get blackberry blossom and I'd learn it and I'd come back up there and the next week I knew that song so those jams and the availability of music kind of taught me a, a whole lot about what I know right now
the Grateful Dead, that gateway band. Careful kids, that long, strange trip can lead straight to bluegrass if you don't watch out. That was a bit of Pete Wernick's take on the traditional number, Blackberry Blossom, from his album, What The? The Grateful Dead has a connection with that song, and Jerry Garcia was sure to have played it somewhere along the way, seeing as he was a banjo player before he picked up a guitar. The Dead's Friend of the Devil echoes Blackberry Blossom and other bluegrass standards with its descending G major scale. Did you ever walk when your feet were tired? Did you ever walk when the road was gone? Did you ever sing when your heart was aching? Did you ever sing just cause there's a song? Courage for the Morning from Teleco's album, Woven Waters. It's a song which came to Anya early in the morning on Martin Luther King Jr. Day in 2017, which she says was written very quickly and initially was for what she imagined that King might say or represent at such a time of political transition and social upheaval. Ultimately, like all songs, its meaning comes from listener interpretations, and to me, it is the most optimistic song on the album. It does not feature John Doyle's playing, but many more songs on the album do. He plays the bouzouki on this record, and that's originally a Greek instrument, but which went on to become popular in a lot of Celtic music. It is noteworthy that cultures as diverse as Grecian and Japanese are at play in music that, on the surface, seems so decidedly Anglo-Saxon in origin. One other root of Teleco's music is American blues music, as our conversation revealed. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the music that I love ha- is somehow rooted in, like, I don't know exactly, but, yeah, like, southern sounds of sorts, you know. But um, I, I do think that, like, kind of speaking to what, what you guys were just saying about, like, the sound of this region particularly, not the south as a whole, but, like, the mountains. Um, like, I mean, I do feel like Asheville has a has sort of a, a certain kind of bluegrass sound that is a little more like of a mountain sound whereas if you go to like Colorado or even where I grew up in Chapel Hill and the kids I some of the kids I grew up picking with who subsequently now maybe play in Colorado bluegrass bands or otherwise they, it's like a little bit of a cleaner approach you know and like I feel like when I came up here and started playing at the jams and stuff I heard mandolin players who were doing this like slinky slidey shit all over the place and I 
started listening to more Bill Monroe and it made more like it it really influenced the way that I played if not all the time definitely like it pushed me to develop a bit of that style myself because it was a more like old school mountain sounding bluegrass style to me than what I had been around previously and definitely I feel like that now compared to some of the you know California and Colorado and the scenes there everything is like cleaner a little bit in a way than the mountain then like where you know where we are from and I think it plays in like some of the old time and stuff how there's these like intangible parts that are you know it might almost even sound sloppy to somebody who doesn't fully understand it but if you listen to it enough you you get that there's like a way that it's supposed to sound and I mean I think that's definitely true with old time and it's true with old bluegrass and you know that plays into that idea of preservation and I think there are certain ways that I do want to like preserve those things those elements but it's as a whole I think you know you got to kind of push forward and you know that's that's what music is to me is like being on the forefront of moving it along and not not trying to hold it back you know but keep the blues but keep the, the blues, the southern aspect of the blues, you know. So there's a lot of traditional music in some places where, like, there's just no blues to it without naming any names. But some, you know, that's something that's unique about southern Appalachian music and just southern music in general. It seems to be like the, you know, the binding thing, you know. Yeah, a, lot of what, a lot of what I was talking about mandolin stylistically definitely utilizes flat thirds and sevenths and blue notes and stuff like that also. So I, I can agree with that. I think that there are elements in the blues. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially if we're talking about bluegrass influence, which I'm sure is probably what Jed and Aaron were referring to as a different acoustic styles as they um, are applicable to um, the bluegrass genre, because that's, that's where you can see a bit of a difference in, in style from, say, a Colorado style to a North Carolina style. I don't think it necessarily has to have a blues element to be, I don't think innately a blues element goes just with, you know, Southern style. I think it's just been a big influence uh, on it. Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass talked about how he was purposefully merging uh, British, Irish fiddle music with, country blues and uh, southern blues. And I think the result of that and the way that uh, his music has influenced the music of the greater southeast is important to keep perspective on. I think that uh, places that are not necessarily based in the southeast, the northeast, the Midwest, Colorado, the West Coast, uh, have all been influenced by other branches of those you know other elements uh and i think that each region has its own style and i think at this point now that we've seen i remember 20 years ago there was even more of a finer line between what you see outside the southeast as far as folk and bluegrass goes and what you might see on the west coast but i think those styles are influencing each other now i think that's great i think it's positive i think that the commonalities of the musical styles uh, are more are, are are bigger than the, the differences in the two. I think that wasn't always the case, like I say, prior. But I think the worlds are emerging more and more. I think I think it's great because those are you know it's all the same community. Yeah, I think the blues permeate like almost every aspect of southern music. And I will say that 
the region we're in, Asheville, it, there's a there's as much of a old time element as there is bluegrass, and I guess I, I think of bluegrass is more modern and uh, technical. But even the bluegrass, when I moved to Asheville, I adjusted my style to fit more with the jams that I was going to. And I adjusted my style by playing in a much more um, traditional, almost like Stanley Brothers kind of style. Because that was just what worked with playing with people like Billy Constable and Don Lewis and Orville Freeman, Bobby Hicks, all these people that are around. They definitely, they aren't doing the cleanest of the clean as far as when it comes to a a style of, of picking. The boys are cutting a shine on the road outside Like thunder the end and it sounded But boys, this story ain't about you this time It's about my 75 years on this mountain The wheels of my mind turn backwards I can see clear as spring water My heart thrills with angst as I tell the words Of a Cravenstown coal miner's daughter Born the fifth of nine children My daddy was a miner at Davis But a blown out shot set his shaft to burning And the company don't pay damages or pensions Then daddy said he's going down to the river shore Gonna drown himself in the deepest water Leaving there a coin or script for the company store Found him a new gal and went to Indiana Just the apples that dropped from the schoolyard tree When mama died, nothing was waiting for our dinner Then cotton came a-calling and I was about seventeen Soon after the babies came a-crying Well, he did a little mine and a little shine in between Little drink and a little gambling besides is on full display here with some of Ballad of Zona Abstin from Telecoast performance at Mountain Song 
The song is based on the life story of Zona Abstin, whom Anya met through her friend Hippie Jack Stoddart, who was involved with an ongoing community development project in Overton and Ventress counties in Middle Tennessee. Many of the communities there are remnants of mining towns that popped up in the early half of the 1900s. The mining died out in mid-century and was completely finished by the 70s. Many of the people that remained have stories of surviving the mining years and post-mining years, mostly scratching out a living as best they could in the face of poverty, lack of education, health care, job security, and any safety net at all. Over her kitchen table, Zona told Anya the story of her childhood, her parents, siblings, and children, and gave her a sense of a worldview from someone that has only herself to rely on, and to some extent, her family and community. Another one of Stig's compositions and a bit of the new song Palisades, describing the tall cliffs overlooking the New River in Virginia. That's about 50 miles northwest of Floyd, Virginia, the region where Anya got her musical start. I went there on a dreary, rainy fall day several years ago to do interviews and video for a Southern Songs and Stories documentary that never saw the light of day, save for a couple of clips, one of which was the fiddle lesson scene with Arville Freeman, that you heard excerpted earlier in this podcast. 
That trip to Floyd was one of many over a period of months where we shot hours and hours of performance and interview footage. To make a long story short, our all-or-nothing crowdfunding effort did not succeed, so the documentary was never finished. This is a commonplace occurrence in the arts nowadays, as well over half, nearly two-thirds of these campaigns, don't reach their goals. As Anya pointed out in our interview at Mountain Song, making Woven Waters meant taking a leap of faith. Even though Teleco has a record label to call home now, that doesn't mean that they got a free ride. You might be able to get a full scholarship to college, but you will never be able to get the equivalent to that when making a record on any label, anywhere. The nitty-gritty of people being able to afford life as artists is easy to forget when we can have so much art available for free on the internet. My point is that your support is key to these artists' success, and without album and merchandise sales, without people at their shows, without people spreading awareness of their art, it all comes to a halt. Since you have made it this far into the podcast, I'm pretty sure you are aware of these things and have and will continue to support artists like Teleco. After listening to Woven Waters and seeing the band play live once again, I for one am pretty sure that leap of faith will find them landing on solid ground. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Thanks to both the Osiris Podcast Network and to Don Mack at Bluegrass Planet Radio for carrying the show, and to Sean Rubin for audio engineering the live music on this episode. I encourage you to spread the word about this podcast and consider helping us by subscribing and commenting on our show and by becoming a patron. You can find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. And you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter at South Scenes, and Instagram at South Stories. Plus, our podcasts are available on practically every platform there is. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South, and the artists who make it. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris Podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. And another thing is like, even Dave, bands like Dave Matthews band and stuff, people, people come up to us after shows and are like, man, you guys really remind me of Dave Matthews band. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. I would have never said that. Um, Maybe if I (laughs) think some more, it'll make sense.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a violin and okay. a band, <laughs> drum. Yeah. Okay, I got you. I was in a band with Jed, two thousand three or two thousand four. Yeah, yeah. The town pump when when people when uh, the smoking rules were really new and uh, town pump was the only bar that you could still smoke in. I guess. Even the smokers stepped outside to smoke because it was too smoky in there. But the Sunday night jam <laughs> yeah, at the town that. pump, yeah, <laughs> was it was it was nuts. It was off the off the hook a, a lot. How hard is it? It's 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 always it's a challenge. I, I saw a bumper sticker once that said, "Real musicians have day jobs." <laughs> I thought that was really good. I think all of us just being from this area, I think just feels very familiar and it's just such a rich place to be around musicians that we learn from, as you heard. And um, I think we kind of take it for granted, but I think that is one kind of cool thing about getting out and going to other places. As you see, it's not like this everywhere. There's not these opportunities to, to learn from you know, such a huge roster of folks, people out playing music all the time, all the people that we've had the opportunity to just interact with any day of the week. It doesn't exist in other places. And um, I think you can hear that. I think, you know, this area just has some incredible music coming out of it. And there's a reason for it. It's just, it's really inspiring.